The real miracle is that Christ came to this earth to save us. While our traditions transform the ordinary into the extraordinary, the miracle of Christmas is found in Jesus transforming lives. So enjoy the trees, the lights, the gifts, the food and family and friends. But when you want to see the miracle of Christmas, look to the manger at the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Good morning, guys. Week three, Miracle of Christmas. Let's try that again. Good morning. It's great to see you. I'm glad you're awake. Man, Christmas is a great time of year, isn't it? I love it. Uh, it's pretty. I love the lights. Um, I've only got two strings up on my yard, but those of you who went over and above, I enjoy your house. Okay, so um, Philippians 2, get your Bible out. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 through 11. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, that would be our gift to you. Okay, we'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word, especially if you'll uh, commit to reading it on a regular basis. So go ahead and take that one home if you don't own a copy of God's Word. Okay, and so Philippians two. We're in week three, uh, and then tomorrow we're going to finish up. We've been doing a four-part series, The Miracle of Christmas, and so today we're going to talk about the miracle of the method, and then tomorrow we're going to look at the miracle of the message. What is the message that God brought us as we as we celebrate uh, Christmas Eve? And I mean, I'm looking forward to that, and always hopeful that we don't burn the place down, okay? So on candlelighting service. Andrew Carnegie, some of you all are familiar familiar with your history. Uh, Andrew Carnegie was born in Scotland in 1835, and uh, him and his, his dad um, owned a family business that had been passed down generationally and, and in Scotland, and it, but it fell victim to the Industrial Revolution, his dad's business. And so the rise of the machines, and no, I'm not talking Terminator, uh, I'm talking the Industrial Revolution, <clears throat> put his dad out of business. There's only three Terminator fans in here. Uh, so anyway, and so the Carnegies decided to move to America. In fact, Andrew Carnegie recounted times in his life as a young child where he would go to bed early because he was so hungry and going to bed would just help him forget that he was hungry. And so at age 12, the Carnegies moved to Pittsburgh. Uh, where he and his family were looking for a fresh start. When they moved to Pittsburgh, they lived in a one-bedroom apartment. The whole, the whole family slept in, in one bedroom. And at age 13, Andrew Carnegie went to work in a local textile factory in Pittsburgh. 13 years old. My kids are playing Fortnite. Okay, so... Um, <clears throat> So for all the kids 13 years old, Andrew Carnegie went to work at a textile factory. All right. Anyway, another, anyway, the parents think it's funny. Kids are like, what's well, Christmas time? All right. Shortly thereafter, all right, shortly thereafter, Carnegie took a job at a telegraph office as a messenger. He, at a young age, he, he ran messages around the community. And during this time, he, he made sure he was wise enough to, to get to know the movers and shakers of Pittsburgh. And, and at age 17, 
2017, Andrew Carnegie took over a telegraph office for the local railroad, and eventually he he actually became the owner of the telegraph office. And and then it wasn't long before Carnegie made his way up, and he was actually running the local railroad. And that came, of course, with a a nice salary and with his extra money. Uh, He was able to invest in some various ventures. One of his investments went to a company that built the sleeping cars for the railroad company. He invested in another company that built bridges for the trains as the America was expanding their railway system. But most of you know that Andrew Carnegie made his fortune in the steel business. In the steel business, he built a financial empire. And by 1900, Andrew Carnegie was producing more steel out of his business than most countries were producing in total. In 1901, Andrew Carnegie sold his steel empire to a guy by the name of J.P. Morgan. He sold his steel empire for, in 1901, $480 million. Today's equivalent would be $120 billion. To put that in perspective, Andrew Carnegie would be the wealthiest man in America right now by almost two times. Anybody know who the wealthiest man in America is? One person, Bill Gates, right? Bill Gates, worth about $60 billion. Andrew Carnegie would have more than doubled that in today's dollars. Like, we all like a good rags to riches story, don't we? I mean, this guy was sleeping on a one-bedroom apartment. Some of y'all are holding on to that dream yourself. You're like, you know, when's my time going to come, you know? Like last year you were holding Bitcoin, right? I'm going to make a fortune in Bitcoin. So some of you, it's like it's too soon, too soon to talk about that. So, um, you know, we love a good rags to riches story. The story of Christmas, though, is, is actually quite the opposite. The story of Christmas is actually a riches to rags story. It's, it's the descent of our God into humanity to save the world in which he created from their sin. And so we've been looking at this series called The Miracle of Christmas, and the first week we, we called it The Miracle of the Moment, and we looked at Galatians 4, just the right time God sent forth his son. And, and then last week we, we looked at The Miracle of the Messenger, and if you missed Pastor Joey's sermon, man, you really missed out. I encourage you to go online and listen to it. We talked about the pre-incarnate Christ, that Jesus is supreme, and he is reigning supreme, and he's always reigned supreme, but he wrapped himself in flesh. And then <clears throat> this morning we're going to look at the miracle of the method. Let's look at the miracle of the method. How did God save us through his son, Jesus Christ? And we're going to look at Philippians chapter two. And so I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag, right? So actually, after I say this, you could check out and you don't have to listen to anything else I say, okay? The miracle of the method is this. It's one word. It's humility. The miracle of the method of our salvation is humility. I was just kidding about checking out. Okay, listen up. Here we go. Um, Philippians 2 verse 4, Paul writes this. Let each of you look, at, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, 
But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I, I can probably take each of these verses and give each of them a full week, but we're going to do all of it in one. So here we go. The first thing we see here this morning, Jesus didn't clutch. Jesus didn't clutch. The word grasped means to clutch, to hold on tightly. Jesus didn't do that. And by the way, this whole passage is encased in the idea that we need to have the same mindset as Christ. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you want to have, you know, there's been books written about this, the mind of Christ. What's the mind of Christ? Christ was humble. Christ didn't clutch. Christ gave up his rights. That's the mind of Christ. What's the miracle, the method that our God in Christ humbled himself? The story is told, uh, maybe you know this, uh, in other countries when they trap monkeys. The way that a, a monkey is trapped is very simple. A trapper will dig a small hole, maybe this deep in the ground. And then in this very small hole, they'll place the bait of some kind of a fruit or some kind of a food that this monkey would want to get his hands on. And then at the top of the hole, they put a hole at the top about this big, just, just big enough for a monkey to kind of slide his hand through. And so he'll look down into that shallow hole and he'll find the fruit that he wants and he'll stick his hand down and he'll grab onto the fruit. And as he grabs onto the fruit, his hand now gets wider and it's just wide enough that he can't pull his hand out. And all that monkey has to do to be free is let go of what it's clutching and pull its hand out. But the monkey wants that bait so badly that he clutches. And I think about that in our lives, right? I mean, there's some of you in this room and you're clutching something and it's killing you and it's got you trapped this morning. You've got a sin, an addiction, there's a relationship in your life that's leading you down a path. There's, a, there's something that you desire and you're in your sacrifice, you're clutching. Your marriage is struggling because you refuse to die to yourself and you're, you're just clutching your rights. And you're clutching and you're clutching and you're clutching. And I've got news for you. We worship and serve a God and we have a Savior who didn't clutch. He didn't grasp onto his rights. Jesus did not clutch his rights. Listen, that's not the American way, right? You're born into a country where you have a bill of... Some of y'all didn't know that. Okay, let's do that. You have a bill of what? Our Savior said, you know what, I, I laid my rights down. I mean, can you imagine how that might change our marriages and our churches and our culture? Jesus, he didn't clutch. He, in fact, Paul goes on to say he emptied himself. He, it means he set aside his divine rights. He set aside his glory. He, he willingly laid himself down. Last week, I was visiting up in our campus up in Gloucester, and we sang the, the song, the Christmas song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, right? And about the third line in, in that song says, Mild he lays his glory by. I don't know if you ever think about the words we're singing, especially during Christmas carols, because they're very poetic and they're 
Sometimes you kind of have to think about it, but as, we, as I sang that, I thought about Philippians chapter 2, that Christ, mild, he laid his glory. He didn't clutch. He emptied himself. Paul says he became a bondservant. Literally, he, he, he became a slave. Jesus Christ carried the burdens of others. Burdens he didn't have to carry. Your burdens, my burdens, the burden of sin so that we might have life. He toiled as a slave would toil. The God of the universe, he loosened his grip and he willingly and he humbly submitted to the will of the Father. The miracle of the method is that God came and humbly took on the form of a bondservant so that we might be saved from our sin. This is truly a riches to rags story. Paul goes on to say he was, he was born in a manger. How do I know this? He says he was born in the likeness of man. Philippians 2, 7 and 8, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance of man. Luke chapter 2, verse 12, you, know, you probably know the Christmas story, right? Where the angels show up to some shepherds on the side of a mountain. By the way, shepherds were like the lowly, it was the worst job you could have, you know? In fact, you know, it, you know, and we, we they, if the shepherds would attach bigger words to their job description to make it sound important, but nobody wanted to be a shepherd, you know. But it was like, hey, I'm a, I'm a sheep tending engineer, you know, or whatever, whatever you could do to make it sound better than it was. It just wasn't that great of a job. Yet the angels, upon announcing the birth of Christ, they show up to the shepherds. Why? Because these guys were diligent. They were serving God by where God had placed them. It's a whole other sermon for another day. But they show up, and in Luke chapter 2, as the angels are announcing the birth of the Messiah, the Savior, God's Son, Jesus, Luke chapter 2, verse 12, it says, that the angels say to the shepherds, and you will recognize him by this sign. Now, why this is important, and it's, we skip over these important passages of Scripture. What's the sign? You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. I want you to think about this. this the reason this is a sign is this is not how you would normally find a baby. Right? A manger is a feeding trough for animals. Strips of cloth means, man, the parents didn't even have clothing to give to a baby. Man, I've had children. I remember when my kids were infants. I'm, you know, a lot of people I know in my little circle around here at Coast are having babies, right? And listen, when you, you know, we have a baby, like it's serious. Months in advance, you plan out the nursery, Right? months and you you cushion everything right there you even put a bumper guard around the crib because you don't want your head kid knocking their head right against the crib you go shopping and you put your kid in the shopping cart now they have these things you wrap the entire shopping cart in bumpers right because god forbid they get a germ and you know hit their little knee kind of thing and and like we're just protecting 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 i did it too i'm not saying it's a bad thing you know i did it my my oldest is now 20 i still make him wear a helmet every time he goes out you know you never know um just kidding <laughs> this will be a sign unto you shepherds 
That Jesus took on human likeness and he's born in a manger. And listen, I've got three or four of them sitting around my house. You know, hand, one hand carved from Africa. It's beautiful. Another one, precious moments looking beautiful. Uh, i got all these beautiful manger scenes sitting around my house. This was not beautiful. We have sterilized it. We've sterilized the entire story and we've turned it into white lights and coffee table decorations and precious moments figurines. But Christmas was a descent for Christ. And he was born in a manger. I mean, we're talking about a mom giving birth in an animal feeding trough with no medical attention and no clothing. They had to make strips of clothing to wrap him up. And he's surrounded by animals and animal food and animal waste and animal smells and animal sounds. That's how the Son of God came to earth. Isn't that amazing? It's a descent for Christ. And he took on human appearance, literally he took on human structure, right? Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah in prophesying about the Messiah says, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, the creator just took on a normal form. Let me, let me make this modern America for you. He wasn't George Clooney, Okay. Anyway, whatever, I don't know. I think George Clooney's handsome. I don't know, you know, so. uh, In other words, he wasn't standout in appearance. He was just normal. There's nothing that we weren't attracted to his appearance. You know, and if that's you, and and listen, you know, we, we live in a culture of, man, body shaming that just needs to go away. Just needs to go away. In fact, maybe you're here this morning, you're like, man, I, God made a mistake in the body he gave me. And, I, and you, maybe, you're, maybe you're a young person, you're feeling the, the pressure of the way you, everyone tells you you should look. Listen, God sent his own son, and Isaiah says, he didn't look anything that would attract us to his appearance. He took on human form. He took on humanity as the descent into Christmas. The third thing about this descent for Christ into Christmas is Philippians 2.8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. Verse 28, verse 8, I'm sorry. He humbled himself. Christ had a humble attitude. Paul is challenging this church, by the way, to have the mindset of Christ. Humility... a whole nother sermon, but I want you to just kind of meditate on it. Think about this, what I'm about to say. Two things. Humility is the key to knowing and growing in Christ. Why is that the case? How do you receive the gospel of Jesus Christ? The first step is repentance. To repent is to acknowledge that you have need to repent is to acknowledge I'm broken, I'm sinful, I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not in relationship, in right relationship with God the Creator. To repent is to confess, man, I'm a sinner, I'm broken, I need saving. And that takes humility. And I think the, the curse of all mankind is pride and unbelief. Pride, man, I know better than God's word. I'm, I pull myself up from, I don't need. 
We live in a culture where, you know, you, you admit that you have need. It's just shown as a sign of weakness. You, you can't even know God without starting with humility. I need, I need a Savior. I'm broken. And the second thing I would say is you, you're not going to be used by God for anything great without humility. It starts with, I'm a, I have the mindset. In fact, Paul, this letter, it's labeled after a church plant in a city called Philippi. And so we call it Philippians, and he's written a letter to this church in Philippi. And, 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 and probably, chapter 2 here is probably a hymn that the early church is singing. So it's been floating around the early church and they're singing. And the Apostle Paul here is pleading with this new church plant to get along in unity with one another. And he's pleading by saying, man, have this mindset. Because the dominant mindset of the culture is you should be happy. Can, can I just tell you, I'm weary of that mindset. That is not a Christian mindset. Because if you should be happy, then you go into marriage with the idea that you should be happy. What happens when your spouse stops making you happy? Well, it must be the spouse's problem. Or a particular sin that you're wrestling with you in your life. And it's a particular sin. The Bible calls it sin. But you're like, well, this sin somehow makes me happy. And usually until it doesn't. No, what we need is a mindset of Christ. Which is, not, which is holy and humble. In fact, check this out, Philippians 2, verse 3. I just want you, I want you to meditate on these verses this morning. I want you to think about these, what the Apostle Paul is saying to this young church. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Can you even imagine how that would change the world? But in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look, not only for his own interest, but also for the what, church? Interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. See, when we're in Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in us, humility is now a choice. You can choose to die to yourself. You can choose to die to your desires. You can choose to live for others. You can choose to obey Christ. You can choose to obey God's word. You can choose to, get, to repent of your selfish desires and live in obedience to the word of God, to the glory of God the Father. Can you imagine a world where everyone looked out as for others is more important than themselves. Be incredible, wouldn't it? It'd be heaven on earth. Which, by the way, is what a church is supposed to be, a little touch of heaven on earth. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you call yourself a Christian, it's what your marriage is supposed to be. Yes? A little touch of heaven on earth where two people 
It's hard enough with hundreds of people where just two people say, you know what, I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to live for you. Whenever I do a wedding, there's, you, after we take the vows, most couples do one of three things. I love all three. But most of them will either, as their first act of marriage, they'll either do communion together, which I love, love, love that, okay, or they'll do unity sand, okay, where they take two different color sands and pour them together in one vase to form a, you know, like an art piece they take home. Uh, or they'll do the unity candle, right? And I love that one too. And so, you know, the unity candle is that during the ceremony, before we do the vows, you know, all the way through the ceremony, there'll be two individual candles, right, that are lit, one representing the bride and the other representing the groom, right? And then once we exchange the vows and their husband and wife, the first act of marriage is they take those two candles and they do what? Anybody know? Light one in the middle, right? And what's that representative? Representative, the two now become one. They're one flesh, they're about one thing. And then they take their individual candles and they do what? And in the middle is this thing called marriage. The two become one flesh where it's humility, where you're looking out for the other person is more important than themselves. And you blow them out. And then something happens in marriage. And this is what it looks like. And we relight our candle, right? Oh, wait a minute. I didn't know this was going to be about you. Let me make it about me for a minute. I see some of your elbow in your spouse. They probably need it. Okay, so I I didn't know this meant that I was going to have to clean the house because I don't really like doing that all that much. I didn't know you were going to need physical intimacy. Now I'm meddling. I didn't know I was going to have to get up in the middle of the night and change diapers. I didn't know that and on and on the list goes, right? I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know. But you know what? I'm gonna take the mindset of Christ, the God of the universe who descended into Christmas, the God of the universe, and Paul says, have the same mind that Christ had where you look out for others as more important than yourselves. I mean, can you even imagine how this concept would change your marriage? Can you even imagine how this concept would change your workplace? Where you go into work, you say, I'm here to serve my boss, and I'm here to serve my company so that the company does well. It doesn't matter if anybody notices because God notices. Can you even imagine how this would change your church and your church involvement? You know, because even in church life, like maybe you don't get enough attaboys, but God sees and God rewards, and I'm here to serve because I want to have the mindset of Christ. Can you even imagine how this would change our community? Can you even imagine how this would change our schools? Can you even imagine how this would change your your relationship with your roommates? And on and on the list goes. The mind of Christ is the mind of humility. It's thinking less of yourselves. It's serving others. It's not clutching, and it's giving away your rights so that the glory of God can shine through in your life. It's the miracle of the method. The method of the gospel is humility. And we see this in verse 8 where, where Paul says it's from the manger to the cross. Philippians 2.8, being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ became obedient to death, which by the way, let me pause there for a minute. I'm sure a lot of you are really familiar with this passage, very, very um, familiar passage of Scripture in the New Testament. You've probably read over that a million times, that Christ became obedient to death. Do you ever think about this? Only deity 
can be obedient to death. Death comes to humanity as a natural course of sin. It's only a divine being that can accept death as obedience. Death is not an obedience thing for you and I. Death is coming our way. It is only God himself that can accept death as an act of obedience. And not just any death, Paul says, but death on a cross. He's reminding us that the way that Christ chose to die to pay for our sin was suffering and punishing and undeserved. Our God's method was to descend into Christmas by humbling himself to the point of death on a cross. To which Paul says, have this mindset. Have this mindset. The miracle, the method, humility. And finally, Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Paul writes, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. From humiliation to exaltation, from humiliation to exaltation, God exalts Jesus to the object of our worship. Jesus is the name that every knee will bow. In fact, let me, let me challenge you this morning. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe you got drug here this morning because it's Christmas time. You're going to get drug here tomorrow. I don't know. It's like a drug two days and I heard that in my own house. We got to go back to back days. You know, like... It's so hard, you know, to love Jesus this much, you know, kind of thing. Um, yes, kids, you'll endure. Um, you know, the Scriptures are really clear that every knee will bow to Christ. If you bow in this life, you're guaranteed eternal life. The next life, you will bow in defiance and punishment. So I want to encourage you, man, reflect on the, the gospel. And don't, don't make trite of the message of Christmas that God descended to save us from our sins through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you, bow a knee now. Worship him because he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And then what I want you to see here, that this is the path that God uses he usually uses the path of difficulty to lead to the price of exaltation. It is always suffering to the point of exaltation. Romans chapter 8, very similar, it's a very... It's a passage of Scripture we probably all know. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. So Paul's saying the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. How are we children of God? When we repent of our sins and we believe in the personal work of Jesus, this is what we're going to talk about tomorrow, the miracle of the message. And if children heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. See, a lot of times we stop with the, man, we're heirs of Christ. All the inheritance of Christ belongs to us as children of God, but we stop with, first, we've got to suffer with him. 
Paul says this in verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Here's what he's thinking, we, saying we need to be more heavenly minded. He's saying, listen, here on this earth, there's difficulty, there's challenge, there's suffering. And we know that because Christ led the way. He modeled it for us. He suffered. And we are going to receive all of his inheritance if we believe in him. But we're also going to go through life and suffer just as Christ suffered. Listen, your life is 70 or 80 or maybe if you're really blessed, you live to be 90. And there are some good times in that, to be sure. But there is always going to be challenges. There's always going to be hardship. There's always going to be suffering. But Paul says, Listen, your life is just a small vapor compared to forever and ever 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 and ever. You got the picture, right? And ever and ever and on it goes. And he's like, your life is just a short period. And we've got to, listen, you've heard that people say this and I don't like this saying. He's so heavenly minded, he's what? No earthly good. That's a terrible saying. We're not heavenly minded enough is our problem. We're not heavenly minded enough that, man, we can use our time, talent, and treasure to store up heavenly reward. We're not heavenly minded to say, man, I'm suffering. It's difficult, but I can do it with a joyous attitude because I know that in Christ, I'm going to live forever and have eternal life. I, we, we're not heavenly minded enough to say, man, my life and it, my attitude and the way I do things impacts others and I can make an impact for the glory of God. And Christ modeled this for us. He was humiliated, which led to exaltation. We're promised to go through difficulties, but the miracle of the method is shown to us in Christ is that God takes difficulties and turns them on its head as he exalts and brings glory to his name through difficulty. And so no matter where you are this morning, God can use your story. Isn't that great news? Moses was a stutterer. Think about all the Old Testament characters. Let me run through some of the Old Testament characters, even some of the New Testament characters. Moses was a stutterer, and Jacob was a liar, and David had an affair, <clears throat> and Abraham was too old, and David was told he was too young, and Timothy had health problems, and Peter, he denied he even knew Jesus, and Paul was a murderer, and when Jonah was given an assignment, he decided to run the other way, and Gideon and Thomas had very little faith, and Jeremiah wrestled with depression and was probably even suicidal at times, and Elijah, he was burned out, but God still used these people to bring glory and fame to his name. Isn't that great news? And if God uses all these people that we might consider failures, it begs the question, what is God looking for in the person that he uses? He's looking for humility. It's the people who worship the God who made the descent into Christmas. And then, as an act of worship, in order to worship him as Savior, those people make the same descent as Jesus. It's the miracle of the method. It's a church of Christmas worshipers that say this. I'm going to change these verses just a little bit to put them in the first person. But it's a church of Christmas worshipers that say, I will do nothing from selfish ambition 
or conceit. But in humility, I will count others as more significant than myself. I will no longer look out only for my own interests, but I will look out for the interests of others. By the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, may I have this mind, which is mine in Christ Jesus. Our God takes the manger and he turns it into a savior. Our God takes death and he turns it into resurrection. Our God takes broken, sinful people and saves them and uses their broken stories to exalt the savior and to spread the fame of God in Christ. The miracle of the method is have this same mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You can't leave here today and muster up the strength to be humble. You have to have the mind of Christ. Be focused on Christ. Be focused on Christ. Be focused on Christ. And when you focus on Christ, by the power of the Spirit, you have the mind of Christ. When you have the mind of Christ, the person sitting next to you, the person sitting behind you, the person who stole your parking spot this week is more important than yourself. That would change the world. It's the miracle of the method. Let's close with prayer. Father, I, I, I have to admit, I, I'm convicted this morning. I, I'm full of pride. I like to make it about me, first and foremost. But you, oh God, you showed the way. You, you're, you're a God who gave generously. You gave your son, and, and, and the son, Jesus, he, he didn't... He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he, he gave up his rights. God, we live in this society where like all we care about is our rights. We're litigious. We sue each other. We're angry at each other. We're just, we, just, culture's just consumed with self, God. And I can be the leader of that pack. So this morning, God, I ask forgiveness in I pray for us as a church, God, that we would be a people that have the mind of Christ. The miracle of the method that you gave up your rights and clothed yourself in humanity. You were humble, a bondservant. Paul encourages us as Christians to have that mindset. God, you use the humble to change the world. God, we have this short time called life. 
70, maybe 90 years where we get to pour ourselves out. And it's not always easy, God. God, you're a God who takes humiliation and gives back a thousandfold and leads us to exaltation. Help us to be heavenly-minded, God. You're taking us to a place with no more pain, no more suffering, no more difficulty. So help us to lift up the message of Christ. and Help us to live with the mind of Christ to the glory of God the Father. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Listen, tomorrow... We are going to be looking at the miracle of the message. What is the miracle?